So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast where we teach you how to grow your photography business if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog posts check out sixfigurephotography.com now here's your host ben hartley Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 47 of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Thank you for being here. I just want to start with that. I'm going to start with the big thanks. Thank you for giving uh, giving this podcast your attention. Uh, it means the world to me. On today's episode, we're talking travel photography. We're going to talk to Taylor Jackson. Uh, Taylor is actually the host of his own photography web series. He's on season two. It's called A Photographer in... And we're going to talk about how we made this transition from uh, from traveling and photographing to actually making money. So this is not making money shooting events and weddings. This is not making money photographing babies and seniors and that kind of stuff. This is about making money as a travel photographer. Really, really exciting stuff. We really don't get the opportunity to dive into this kind of a conversation. And so I'm going to stop talking and throw it over to Taylor right now. You guys, let's do it. Taylor Jackson, welcome to the SFP podcast. How are you today, man? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, this is sweet. So you don't know this, and I didn't tell you this when we were just having a conversation leading up to this episode, but I've been following along a little bit with what you've been up to with the photographer in, but let's catch everybody else up who may not have seen your Facebook ads yeah. or your website or your uh, the TV show or everything else that's been going on. Let's catch everyone else up on this. Um, maybe we should just explain this. Where Where are you calling from today? I am about an hour outside of Toronto, an hour west in a place called Waterloo. Um, I grew up like 20 minutes away and I haven't gone far from home. Even though I travel, I like to have kind of the home base. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah. Where, uh, where's been the most recent place that you've traveled to? Um, the most recent that we put up online is Antarctica. And the most recent place that I have gone is, I think, scenic Buffalo. Does that count? That counts. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> That's great. Like the most recent place I've been to is like Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, so <laughs> so yes, Antarctica. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, Buffalo. It's, yeah, we let's, that's totally great, man. I feel like this is going to be a really fun episode because I've got already so many, like even just right there, Antarctica. I'm like, Oh my God, what did you shoot? <laughs> like, tell me more. Um, we're going to get into some of this stuff. Let's kind of rewind, catch the audience up a little bit. Let's start with just step one before you actually create 
created this whole system where you're out um, traveling, uh, doing travel photography, landscape photography, bringing in income um, and bring people along for your journey. How did you even get started in photography itself just in general? Um, I got started, um, I guess, through both snowboarding and also music kind of simultaneously. Um, I was a big snowboarder. I'd be out five or six days a week pretty much at the local hill. Um, so I had this little two megapixel point and shoot, uh, that I'd bring out and grabbed a few photos that even to this day still kind of hold up, which is very strange. Um, but good light is good light. So, uh, I guess things just translate whenever they're quality. Um, and then I started shooting bands, uh, which I kind of got pretty deep into. I really love the idea of, um, at the time when I was like 15, 16, 17, like just getting to go see concerts for free and getting front row access to these guys that I idolized and looked up to. Um, and then because of that kind of uh, credibility that I got by shooting the bigger bands, the, ba- the local bands wanted to pay me to do promos, things like that. And then those guys started getting married. And then uh, I kind of translated into wedding photography uh, around maybe 21 or 22. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how everything began. That's awesome. So this is fun. I feel like there's a lot of similarities. So I actually um, was, uh, a pr- I mean... <laughs> I was a pretty intense longboarder, uh, which led into my video career, which then led into photography. And so uh, there was a company that sponsored me out of California called Loaded Boards. And Loaded Boards also got their start with Snowboard Tech. Yeah. Not sure if you're familiar. Loaded? No? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I was a load rider. So, um, but that's that's it's cool to hear like um, of a very of a very similar process in in uh, in getting involved. But you and I took very different directions because um, I I went straight to weddings, events, portraits, all that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like I took the road that most people see as the most viable option. But then there's this whole other thing that, to be honest, I know nothing about. And this is why I'm so excited to have you on the show about how do you actually make money with, with your travel photography, with your landscape photography. Um, this is something that I'm really fascinated with that I don't see a lot of photographers either a doing, but then be especially, um, talking about. Mm. And so, uh, continue down that path of when you started to actually make money with your landscape, your travel photography, what was one of the very first occurrences that happened that made you feel like this is something that's viable? Um, well, actually, the one of the first, um, it would have been around that time when I was maybe um, even younger than uh, when I started doing weddings. But I started shooting just like a lot of local landscapes um, because I was I had no money and uh, I don't even think I had a car at that time. So wherever I could walk, I'd walk out to the field behind my school and shoot some pictures. Um, and then I started kind of going downtown and doing some black and whites um, just kind of around the city that I'm from. And it turns out that people really love and have a need for local artwork. uh, That's really good. Um, So that was like kind of the first point that I put a few things up online. I think it was like MSN pages or something at the time. (laughs) And I got a hit from a local office. It was like, Hey, can we print like four of these black and whites for our, uh, for our office? Cause like, I don't know, you can't go on a stock website and find something from Waterloo, Ontario. I'm sure you could find something from Toronto, but um, to get even more local that like I kind of found that niche, I guess, accidentally. Um, But the problem is that that niche, um, the reason that I kind of stopped doing that is because it's not the um, quote unquote, like the coolest thing to be doing to be shooting close to home. Like everybody has like the dream of traveling the world and shooting. But um, I think that there's just as much money to be made close to home kind of doing the same thing and bringing your skills kind of back home. 
Interesting. And so what did you end up saying to, uh, to that group? I mean, was it just a, cause I feel like, look, we, we all get those requests as photographers. Can I use my pictures on my website? Can I use them in this ad? Um, or sometimes they just show up on an ad or they show up on a website and we're like WTF mate. Um, so, uh, you know, did you think about it differently in terms of, is it not just exposure? Did you put a number? Did you put a price tag on that? Um, what did you do? Um, I think I priced it at like a hundred bucks. Um, a hundred bucks is a lot of money considering my camera. I had like a D 50 and maybe cost me like $400 total. Um, and all I had was a 50 in the kit lens and, um, to be able to essentially almost make my entire kit worth of money that I had at that moment in time off of photos I'd taken with it was like pretty cool. Um, but also I didn't know anyone in the industry, like nobody, uh, like even still nobody was really talking about, um, how to price things like that, um, online or anywhere that I could find. So I was like, I don't know, hundred bucks a photo. That sounds like really good to me. And, uh, yeah, so that's how it all began at least, uh, locally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was me. Like what? 150 bucks a wedding score. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. Um, okay. So then, so then at what point did your eyes open and you're like, look, this worked at a local scale. What if I start traveling? Like, was there a master plan? Like I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to photograph this stuff. I'm going to pay for my trip in this way. Was it strategic or were you just kind of like, I'm currently in Australia. I'm going to take some pics and see if I can make some money. Like what, what, what happened? It was uh, well, honestly, it's like a combination of things. It's even still like, just like this insane work in progress of like many multiple income streams and all kinds of stuff like always happening. But in the beginning, um, basically my wedding photography started to take off a little bit. Um, so I went to, um, a few kind of weddings that were in locations, uh, around Canada that, um, I hadn't been. So I was like, Oh, like maybe I'll start doing like these little travel videos. And this was a bunch of years ago. Um, and then very slowly over time, it kind of translated into like, Hey, I should put a name on this. And that's when a photographer in kind of started to come about. And by that time I was lucky enough that, um, or fortunate enough that people were like bringing me to London, England or wherever. So I'd usually book kind of like two days or um, three days kind of on either the beginning or the end of each trip. And I would go out there and I would just do whatever I wanted to do. And I would film that. And um, I guess kind of in a sense, I would, I just wanted to shoot my own portfolio. And I figured if I had that, I would figure a way to make money from it. Um, but at the time I was being paid to go do other jobs. So I had my plane tickets and my hotels paid for. Um, so this was just kind of an experiment, uh, that ended up working out pretty well. But I think that's really smart because, uh, I think too often we separate our paid work from our personal work and it becomes a dichotomy. And I think the people who are most successful, even at going like, look, even as we're talking about how do you go full-time with photography? I think you go full-time with your photography by working a full-time job and building your business right alongside. I don't think you just suddenly quit and, and then try to start a photography business. And it sounds like that's what yeah. you did with your travel. You had paid gigs, you, you know, you were able to survive for that and you kept creating this kind of personal work and building that up. What was the balancing act like for that process? Um, the balancing act is also still a work in progress. Uh, specifically, um, so I guess the challenge comes when it's just me out on a job. Um, that's totally fine. I can do whatever I want. Like if I want to go out and shoot every sunset and sunrise, um, like I can do that. The problem is when I travel with my fiance and I have to kind of have that work-life balance in a place that like, I just want to be kind of working and creating all the time um, to actually kind of separate that that's when it becomes challenging um but we're as of next year um, for honeymoon we're getting married december 5th um on our honeymoon we're, we're just like only just doing us um for once so that'll be like the first trip probably in like eight years that i haven't um just like done a bunch of work on yeah for sure have you have you um 
Have you found your wedding photographer yet? <laughs> yeah, like, we have. I, I know. <laughs> uh, might be a few listening. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So then what does this process actually look like now? Have you begun to create systems in place? Because to me, it still feels like, you know, you travel, you photograph all this stuff, but then how, I feel like so often we just cross our fingers and hope that someone finds our work first off and then mm-hmm. B is interested in it enough to contact us. And then we've got to scramble to come up with a price. What are the, some of the systems that you've come up with that actually create um, a strategy behind selling your travel and landscape photography? Yeah, well, it's um, it's kind of interesting. Like uh, when I thought about kind of the idea of this uh, stock, micro stock was like the first way that I ever sold um, pictures kind of consistently. Is, so is that quick, was just kind of like, sorry, real quick yeah. is micro stock. Is this a website or is this like a, a just like Shutterstock okay, and cool. iStock. And um, so basically selling, you upload a gallery of images and then people buy them for like a dollar or two um, kind of each download. And you um, get that full dollar have, or only a cut of that dollar. Um, it depends on a few factors like size and um, some of them charge different for different usage and things like that. Um, but Back when I was starting out, it was like any money that I could make with photography, I felt like it was okay to spend it on photography. There was like this barrier that I couldn't just dump a bunch of money into it that I would that I needed to survive. But if I made that hundred bucks selling pictures, I felt totally fine like putting that into a lens or filters or whatever I needed. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that mindset. Yeah. So um, I guess like I was kind of thinking about uh, this idea of actually how to monetize the show because I just started shooting it and never really had um, actually the first monetization plan that I had just straight up failed, which was um, do tell, do tell. We, have, like, a sh- <laughs> we have a shout out, I think in episode one. And it was basically that we just um, the idea of the show, I guess, um, in my mind at the beginning was to create this thing where people could see behind the scenes. And I felt that if people could see behind the scenes and they could see us creating these images um, online, like people would be very happy and likely to purchase these images. Um, But it turns out that's not true at all. Unfortunately. Can you actually Um, rewind too and give people a little context to the show that you're referring? Sure. Um, So photographer and basically we just kind of, it's travel photography. We um, pretty much just pick whatever spot we want to go around the world and we figure out a way to make it happen. Um, so the first episode, we wanted to go see the swimming pigs in Exuma Bahamas. Um, so we did that. And then it was pretty much just like all these other trips that were either near trips or we would go on Skyscanner and figure out like, okay, we're in, we're at London Heathrow. Where can we go for the cheapest? And sometimes Skyscanner will just throw you like, Hey, you can go to Ukraine for 60 bucks. And that's how uh, we ended up going to Chernobyl, um, was because it was like a $60 flight, um, from Heathrow and kind of, so it's, yeah, it's just a weird collection of different locations, uh, with photography in mind. That's awesome. So Skyscanners uh, is like a website it shows you the cheapest ticket to someplace. Yeah. So you just type in like wherever you're at, um, or wherever you will be. And then just, you can just search everywhere and it'll just rank everything by dollars. And it's just, it's, it'll give you places that you wouldn't expect or ever have thought to go. Um, yeah. but then once you start to look into them, you're like, Oh, like that's actually pretty cool. And then if the flights are cheap, chances are the hotels are cheap or the Airbnbs are cheap or wherever you want to stay. That's awesome. Um, Skyscanner, huge so, takeaway, you guys. Check that out. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we decided that like, hey, if we can involve people in the creation of these photos, like obviously everyone's going to be like super stoked to buy them. Um, but it turns out that that's not super true being an unknown YouTuber um, entirely at that point. Um, so the first thing we did was uh, kind of decided to maybe t- try like a different 
option and we tried to do an actual in-person gallery show. Um, we went to Italy and we set the date of this gallery show that we were going to shoot for um, before we actually left on the trip. So we were just like 100% held accountable to this thing. Um, and we went out and we just kind of drove around Italy for five or six days and took as many pictures as we could. And then we knew that we had to print a bunch of them and put them up on walls and had an event bright to invite like all of our friends and anyone that wanted to come really and just kind of promoted um promoted that really heavily through boosted posts and um just word of mouth as well and we had like 300 people show up and i guess the the early thing we learned that uh or i guess that we didn't know that we had learned yet that uh we figured out over time was that when you go to a location like italy that's um almost like too cliche is that people really connect to it because they've probably been there um, or they just love Italy and things like that. So they're a lot more willing to come in and spend some money to buy a print of a city that they were in or like that they had lunch at that cafe or restaurant or whatever. Um, People are really likely to um, put down a few dollars to have that memory kind of captured professionally for them. Um, Whereas when you go to like somewhere like Antarctica, that's almost like that nobody's really not a lot of people at least have been there that nobody's really that connected to it. So to sell a print, even though in my opinion, they're like a heck of a lot cooler. I find that like Italy and the cliche places just tend to like explode for sales, um, especially at like in-person shows. Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, I, I see ties with this with wedding photography because, you know, some of the most like badass, epic, amazingly like constructed, composed, lit shots that I've ever created aren't the ones that my clients will buy. It's the, it's the photographs that are of, in many situations, the mundane, the familiar, um, the memories that they've already experienced and they want to remember again and again and again, that end up being the things that sell. And I just see the, the, the tie in so closely Mm -hmm. with what you're saying. So you, you got me caught up though, because you said real quick, you're in Canada and you scheduled, or you, you created a gallery exhibit in Italy. So we need to like pump the brakes there for a second. Cause I think yeah, there's no, a lot of people um, who are listening who are like, I would love to have a gallery show in Italy. Like did he No, just- it's um we did the gallery show of Italy um back at home. Oh, so we invited I see. all our local Okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, I yeah. apologize. Um <laughs> but what was that like uh creating let's even just go back to that. So how did you how did you get a gallery exhibit in the first place? Was it just uh well I don't I don't have any framework for that. <laughs> I'm like, I was going to make it some scenario. I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't even know what the scenario would be. No. So there's um, there's a few galleries in town uh, that we could have used, but we figured that because we knew that this was just um, essentially everything that we shot on the trip. And then uh, we also had like a small documentary that was maybe kind of the first episode of a photographer in um, that we just kind of like had everybody sit in a room and watch. Um, we like were wedding photographers, so we knew wedding venues. So we just got in touch with one that we work at a lot and we're like, Hey, how much to rent this place on like a Thursday night? Um, and we were like super flexible. We're like, if there's, um, like any events, like basically we want to take a spot that nobody else is taking. Cause we thought that we would get the cheapest rate on that. And, um, it turns out, uh, I guess like another thing that we learned from that is that if you can find a venue for free, um, it will, make your bottom line a lot better because we spent a lot of money to rent a venue and to have catering and all kinds of stuff for 300 people. Um, we essentially had like a wedding, like essentially yeah, which is, which is funny. Cause it was my fiance or my girlfriend at the time, I guess. Um, 
who became my fiance. And yeah, it's just like, so this is kind of our pre wedding <laughs> wedding, I guess. Welcome everyone that we know and random strangers as well. Um, but then the next one that we did, we learned that we, uh, pretty much spent like a good chunk of our profits actually renting the venue. So we just went to a restaurant for the second one that we knew that like, Hey, like, you guys have a pretty big room that could probably fit maybe a hundred people in the back. Can we come and um, just set up a bunch of pictures? We just used like little small easels and printed. Um, I think they were, they were small. They were maybe like something by 20, maybe 14 by twenties or something. And just put them kind of all around the room and then had people come in and they bought their own drinks this time. And the space was free basically as long as we hit, I think it was like a $500 minimum or something. Um, and that was for our Africa show uh, where we went to Kenya. Um, and that one turned out a lot better um, as far as uh, actually like making money on it. Whereas the first one, it did generate money, but we spent a lot of that money back to make it kind of a cool event. Second time, um, definitely paid for the trip and then some a lot, a lot better. Nice. So then, um, so you're selling stuff. That's great. What do you do with the stuff mm. that doesn't sell when you have like an Italy show and then, and then you have three pieces that don't sell, what ends up going on with those? Um, well, I'm currently in my office and looking at four of them. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> so <laughs> are you taking they just going to hang out? <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if anybody wants them, clearly they're not the ones that, uh, it, I guess it's also interesting to see what people actually buy. Um, because at this point in time, like we had no reference, like we didn't know anyone that had sold anything in a gallery or really done anything like it. So it was interesting to, um, just kind of put up, I think we put up about, um, 30 pictures total and, it was interesting to see which ones really drew people in and they were able to order custom sizes and things like that. We had like a table set up uh, and we just processed everything through square. And, um, it was just really interesting to see that there was four or five photos specifically that we like barely even made the cut to get printed and ended up being like the ones that sold the best. So, um, I guess maybe do some, some Instagram testing or find a way to test it with an audience before you, uh, just, cut images that you don't think that are going to sell because uh, sometimes you get surprised. Yeah. I think actually let's just uh, stop on that whole concept there for a quick second, because I think so often uh, as creatives, as photographers, like we, we are also businessmen we're, we're entrepreneurs or solopreneurs for many of us. We have an idea of what we think somebody wants, what we think our client wants. And this can look like uh, anything from our logo to our brand, to our website, uh, even the user experience of the website, the way that we navigate on mobile. We think everyone else is going to love the way it navigates on mobile and, and how interesting it is to the type of images that we put in our portfolio. And then we, you know, we sell. And I think it's something that uh, we have to stop and do exactly what you're talking about. Uh, just ask, ask the questions, reach out to reach out to our clients and really begin to do research and not assume that what we like and enjoy is what our clients like and enjoy. Um, because it's, I'm discovering this more and more Taylor. It is so rarely the case that my values line up with the people that I'm selling to. Um, I think it's a great lesson, uh, to, to be considered anytime a decision needs to get made for your business or, or for your work. Um, that's awesome, man. Okay. So we've got, we've got the failed attempt at, uh, hoping that people are interested in work because it's been in a documentary. We have the successful attempt now of a gallery show. Uh, is there anything else that you're doing to sell and make money with your travel photography? Yeah, it's, um, it's like the weirdest collection of different, streams of income basically and we'll try one and if it works um obviously we keep doing it 
but nothing really gets written off that like just because we've done a gallery show and it's successful like we'll probably do another one in a couple months but we kind of have to plan a trip for it um the other thing that really um, that we make a bunch of money off of is uh basically after we have one of those gallery shows is that we now have this database of emails that we can reach out to and be like hey just so you know here's like an online link to the gallery like if there's anything that you saw that you left and you're just like oh i wish that i would have picked that up like here's your chance um obviously you can't discount that too heavily otherwise it's kind of offensive to people that bought the bought the prints at the show mm-hmm. um but we find that like usually the day after um if we send that email out if it's a weekday and everybody's at the office usually that's like a pretty profitable day and we sell a lot and it's simply a follow-up email that takes maybe 20 minutes and upload a pixie set gallery that takes you maybe another 10 minutes but it's like pretty close to i would say like almost a quarter or maybe even half the revenue that we actually make at the show in that one day um so it's a nice little kind of secondary boost that's awesome um, dude are you familiar with Shootproof and the email sequencing uh for sales that's built into that platform? I am not. So, so we're going to have a quick little conversation about Shootproof right now between <laughs> right. you and I and, and all the listeners get to take advantage of this. So <laughs> like I am, I'm no stranger to the online delivery system of, of images. I, let's see, was on uh, pass for a long time. And then I went to Pixie set after a few years and, mm. and yeah, now I'm on Shootproof and here's why, uh, because of online, um, print sales, Shootproof is the one system that prioritizes that above all the others. Uh, and they do it really, really well, Taylor. Um, and so, look, they all kind of generally look the same. Pixie Set, actually, I think aesthetically looks probably the best out of all of them. Um, yeah. But I would rather take um, actually a profitable model over something that is aesthetically pretty. Um, and again, Shootproof still looks great. But what, what's great about Shootproof, dude, is every single time someone goes to view the gallery, it collects an email address. Uh, you can also do something called pre-registration. And so let's say you're going to have a gallery show, but it hasn't for another month. You can, yeah. in your promo material, create the gallery already with a pre-registration link that that you can send people to so they can actually sign up to view the images on the online gallery. Once it goes live, let's say a week after the show. So you can actually use it in your promotional content. We use this on weddings at the, at the reception, we go around to the tablet. And as we take guest photographs, we hand them a tablet and say, Hey, if you want to see this picture in the restroom of the wedding day, you know, drop your email in here. Uh, and they pre-register for that gallery. And then Shootproof has built in email automation systems and workflows where you can say, uh, you can send an email blast to everyone who's viewed the gallery with a coupon code, let's say 10% off that day. And you could time it out to be automated. So let's say at their one year anniversary, everyone who have, has viewed that gallery says, Hey, would, you know, it's so-and-so's anniversary. Uh, would you like to get them a, you know, a print, uh, to celebrate their day? Um, and you yeah. can automate that. So you don't have to do it ever again. And then really right. cool thing uh, sorry, this is like total oh, no, shout all, out to Shootproof right now. The other really cool thing is, um, oh man, I lost it. It was there and now it's gone. Um, just any any little incentives, free shipping, uh, discounts. And there was something else I was going to tell you about. Now I can't remember. Anyhow, it's amazing. Uh, and you can do all that stuff built right into the system. And so it just really increases your your sales. So Yeah, I love the idea. I'm still in the whole um, mindset of like, oh, where do we get this image that you just took of us? It's like, oh, ask a couple for the gallery. They'll have the link in like three to four weeks. Yep. Um, but having a tablet or having something to just be like, hey, you're going to get an email like as soon as they're up is um, a heck of a lot better. So I like that idea quite a Pretty lot. Sweet. Oh, I remember what it was. You can even view like who's added stuff in your cart. 
but they haven't checked out. Oh. And so you can do like cart recovery stuff. You can actually see like yeah. what people have done on the site. And so you can choose to segment your email list to be like just the people who have stuff in their cart and they never bought it. Yeah. Or anyhow, so powerful. That's really cool. Get on Shootproof. I'll drop a link down below because I freaking love it. Okay, anyhow, let's keep going. Hey, let's let's talk about I want to talk tech for a quick second in regards to prints. Sure. I love prints. I'm a huge fan of print quality. I, I believe that our images deserve to be printed and actually displayed physically. And so I am curious, have you found that certain prints, especially when dealing with this kind of more fine art space, sell better than others? Uh, for example, are you doing stuff on acrylics, metals, canvases? Are you matting and framing? Uh, are you doing like Hanamula German etching paper? Like, tell me about some of the different uh, materials that you've tested on. Um, we basically just do traditional boring, uh, matte photographs. And then when we do the shows, we also have a framer on site as well, um, which they'll kind of match frames to the images, um, which is kind of a good upsell for them as well to have them, um, because they're making a lot of money and, um, you can also kind of arrange things with them that you can take commission or whatever you want to do. Um, but we find that just like the, just straight traditional, um, photographs tend to sell the best. Um, we've definitely printed some stuff on, uh, metallics and things like that. But I just, I just like the look and the timelessness, I guess, of, um, just a regular gallery style print. Sure. Fair enough. Sorry that that's a really boring answer. No, I was hoping for something <laughs> a little bit more exciting, but that's all right. I am interested though, with the idea of having an actual framer on site. So you've partnered with another vendor. Yeah. So just, uh, one of the local, um, shops here, we just, I, I think I just went in one day. I had never been in there or met them before, but I just, uh, had a few friends that referred me, um, once upon a time and I went in and I was like, Hey, so, like, this is what we're doing. We don't really know what we're doing. Um, so like any guidance, like feel free to step in because you've probably done more in this space than we have. And, uh, they, they like really helped us set up kind of the flow, um, of the day and how people would come in and then, um, watch the documentary and then, um, kind of exit. And then also kind of how we could set tables up and things like that, that can catch people and catch people's attention. So it was, um, beneficial to just like have a second set of eyes from somebody that's completely disconnected from what Lindsay and myself do. Um, they could just be like, Hey, like we've, we've seen something like this before and like this worked and this didn't work. And, um, so it's just nice to have, um, somebody else. So yeah, it was cool to involve them. And, uh, definitely, um, it, it makes the price go up quite a lot for, uh, just a regular print to have it custom framed, uh, on site there. All right, you guys, I, I got to uh, interrupt for a hot second here and just pause to thank uh, one of the big supporters of the SFP podcast, if that's okay. I want to give a big shout out to FreshBooks. So look, the internet has changed everything. You and I are walking examples of this. Like the fact that we are self-employed, uh, that we run our own business, you guys, is, is incredible. The ability to be more mobile, more autonomous, uh, more connected. Look, one in three Americans are self-employed. Uh, by 2020, that's probably gonna be like 40%. All that to be said though, the world was not built for self-employment. Like so many institutions, banks, retirements, um, employ like insurance, my gosh, insurance, accounting, um, it wasn't built for self-employment. And so thankfully there are other companies that are stepping up to the plate, right? They're stepping up to innovate and to provide a solution uh, for you and I, really, for freelancers, for small business owners. You guys, this is FreshBooks. FreshBooks has stepped up to the plate to fill this void, to provide this service for you guys. They've got an all new version. 
It's been completely redesigned from the ground up, custom built for exactly the way that you work. This is the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, uh, and I guess most importantly, to, to get paid more quickly, right? It's not just uh, ridiculously easy to use. It has so many features um, for uh, for invoicing, like just to, to create a custom invoice in less than 30 seconds, uh, to get online payments out the door within just a couple of kit, uh, clicks, uh, get paid four days faster. And then a really cool feature too in regards to these invoices and sending this out is you get to track it. You get to monitor when your client has seen the invoice. Uh, and it just really puts an end to that guessing game of when is the money coming in. You guys, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day full free trial to you guys, to the listeners of the SFP audiences. And as I say this, this is a full trial. There's no like limits to it. Uh, here's what you need to do to claim it. You need to go to freshbooks.com backslash photography and then enter six figure photography, all caps, S-I-X for six, six figure photography. And how did you hear about a section? I'll get links right down below for you guys. Okay. Let's hop back into the interview. All right. So you, you kind of touched on online sales in regards to sending out emails afterwards, uh, you know, going out to Pixie set, that kind of thing. Um, so, so, Hey, sorry, I just said Pixie set and it made me think of something, Taylor. The last yeah. thing that's really cool about Shootproof is if you've already paid for Pixie Set, they'll actually. Sorry, I know I'm. I'm still talking about Shootproof. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm slightly obsessed. The really cool thing is if you've paid, like I paid a year out for Pixie Set last year, yeah. and Shootproof discredited that full like six hundred dollar balance that I paid Pixie Set to my Shootproof account. Uh, essentially, that's because really cool. I paid for Pixie Set, they just said, okay, cool, we'll just like we'll just uh, pass that money on to us. Um, and that way I didn't get billed twice for having two of them yeah. at the same time. That's cool. So and you, one last shoot proof question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's the, what's the pricing billing model on it? Is it similar that it's, um, I think Pixie said is like, okay. Yeah, it's cool. very similar. Um, I, I, I'm going to the website right now. <laughs> Today's episode has been sponsored by <laughs> accidentally sponsored by no, so here we go. So like, let's see here. 25,000 pictures is $30 a month. If you okay. want so, yeah. unlimited photographs, it's sixty a month. If you have five thousand photographs, it's twenty dollars a month. Um, yep, it's cool if they have an unlimited option. Oh wait, um, that's actually that. that's also if you only do it monthly, it, you get discounts if you do yearly. So anyhow, yeah. yeah, I'm on the unlimited dealio. I'm just like picks everywhere, man. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. And then it's free for hundred photos. So if you just want to try it out, it's free for hundred picks. Right. So I'll give it a shot. Yeah. You've sold me. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. So where were, where are we talking about? Okay. So yeah. So you're, you're doing some online sales, uh, through what's soon to be shoe proof. Um, but, <laughs> but what else, is there anything else that you're doing? Um, or, or is it mostly just local? It's, um, so there's like a whole list of different things that we do. Um, I still do a little bit of micro stock, um, that I basically set up the portfolio like seven years ago and it still pays me a couple hundred dollars a month, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and then also depending on, um, if you're like, if you're a YouTube creator, um, we've definitely found some specific niches in YouTube that tend to generate a lot more ad revenue than, um, just straight up photography and, I guess one of the things was that like we travel a lot and we noticed that um, any video that we ever do in Las Vegas, um, because the casinos or the online casinos all want to advertise on that video, um, we find that we're getting like almost 10 times as much ad revenue um, off of a video in Las Vegas than we are anywhere else in the world, um, which is super weird and interesting, but just like something that we just kind of 
discovered. Um, what else so, are we doing? So that revenue stream comes from the fact of while you're traveling and you're photographing, you're also documenting the process, uploading those yeah. videos to YouTube, and then actually pulling an ad traffic from in the mm. situation casinos running ads to your videos. Um, that's kind of interesting. And I think this is yeah. something though, that, um, while that may feel slightly far-fetched maybe to a photographer who's listening, like I, in 2017, the ability for us as creatives to document what we do, not necessarily overproduce it. You don't need a full-time video staff following you around, but to just, to simply document what you do, produce that content and distribute it like it kind of feels like it's almost required at this point if you want to stand out uh, and and be successful at this. Do you have any further thoughts on this whole process of of creating documented videos of the journey that you've gone through? Do you have any advice? Yeah, I think um, like honestly, I think it's the most important thing that I've ever done. And this goes back to like even when I made my first promotional video for wedding photography that I was like. I was getting a few inquiries, but then as soon as I put that promotional video up and it wasn't even very good looking back, but it was a way for me to actually directly speak to my audience, um, who at the time was just brides looking to book weddings. And yeah, it was incredibly powerful and set me apart from like everyone else in town. And even still like very, very few people have promotional videos here, which I think is like insane. Um, but then the more traveled videos that I do, um, specifically like my couple's those they follow me on Instagram, so they'll see that I'm in cool places. And whenever I post like a documentary from like the Monaco Grand Prix or something, like they're like, "Oh, that's really cool." And then the next time that they see me, that's like the first thing that they talk about. And so I know that people are watching, even if they're not commenting. It's kind of that silent majority that um, that you don't really know who's watching your stuff. And there is um, most of my brides, I think, watch most of the episodes of the Travel Show now, which means that I have to be a little more careful, I guess, to keep it a somewhat more professional. Um, but <laughs> I relate. <laughs> yeah. But like, I don't know, it's just something incredibly powerful about doing that. And then they think that I'm like this like rock star or something because like I travel the world and I take all these videos. Meanwhile, it's like myself. And when I shoot the show myself, uh, I use like a Nikon D5500 and like a super wide lens. And like, that's usually it. And I don't know, like I'm not a rock star, like I'm staying, like I'm just kind of documenting like, hey, this is me driving from like Orange County Airport to like our hotel. Um, it's not really like that crazy awesome, but people watch it and they connect with it. And they, I'm assuming they probably show their friends and they show their bridesmaids and things like that. So by doing this, like I've definitely, um, my wedding photography business has grown even more. It's awesome. What advice do you have for someone in regards uh, to uh, actually stepping up to the plate and beginning to document part of their journey or their process. Do you have any advice for them? And especially too, for the photographer who's not traveling the world, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. in their small town, uh, of 20,000 people. Uh, they're running a business. Things are going good. You know what I mean? Like what, what, what advice do you have for them? I would say just like do interesting things. Like we live in a city that's, it's all right, but not a whole lot really ever happens here, but an hour away, we can go to Toronto and we can kind of do whatever we want. So even just start close, like take a drive somewhere. Um, I don't know if you watch uh, Thomas Heaton's videos on YouTube. Um, he's like an amazing landscape photographer, but his video started off that like, he didn't really go anywhere crazy. He went places like he's in the UK. So we drove up to Lake district and things like that. And so his videos just started off kind of close to home. And then the more that he kind of refined his process and his storytelling, um, the more that people seem to jump on board and comment and subscribe and then started to push his career forward. And I don't think that at the time it was something that he thought even like two years ago, there's like probably no way that he would have thought that 
YouTube creation, um, content creation would be his life at this point. Um, but essentially like, that's kind of what it's become that like now YouTube is like the number one thing that he does. And, um, he's a photographer. He didn't expect for this all to happen. He just, he brought his GoPro out. Um, I guess one other tip is make sure that you get good audio. Um, if you don't have good audio, then just like put music over it and make it kind of a music montage. Um, but he just had like the little, um, fuzzy ball mic that attached to the GoPro and, he had like a selfie stick and just walked around and like, Hey, I'm going to go take this landscape photo, like come with me. And then it just gradually progressed. And now that's kind of his life now, which is wicked. That's sweet. Um, you brought up audio. I totally agree. I'm going to be doing, uh, a, um, uh, this, uh, online summit, uh, with, um, Melanie Anderson and it's all on video. Um, and I am going to be, uh, uh, doing that alongside her. And I'm going to be doing, um, uh, my, my topic is on here. Let me pull up the exact title. Cause I thought it was cheeky. Um, <laughs> talking tech, the five rules to making videos that don't suck. And yeah. one of my rules is audio is more important than video. Uh, so I couldn't agree more with that. Um, do you have any quick tips, uh, for, for the photographer who they, they don't have a bunch of video gear? Um, wh- what's something that they can do to make sure that their audio is, is going to be clean? Um, if you are putting a mic into your digital SLR, I would say, um, the Shure lens hopper pro is like the smallest microphone and also the best quality that I've found at least personally. Um, and it's a couple hundred bucks and it easily pays for itself. Like it's just phenomenal for how small it is. Um, and then it might even be time to get the Adobe creative suite, um, the full version of it and also get premiere. Um, cause I do all my video editing in premiere and all my audio and Adobe edition and, um, and Lightroom and Photoshop. So it's just like, I don't know, you just become, <laughs> I'm now an Adobe ambassador, I guess. <laughs> I, totally, I totally get it. <laughs> Today's episode is also sponsored by Adobe. Um, very cool, man. Okay. I love, I love that. I love kind of going off these little rabbit trails, but I think it's, it's, it's important stuff to talk about because it's easy to say document, you know, value audio, that kind of stuff. But, but how do you actually do that? Um, fantastic. So you've, you've, kind of begun to bring people along. You're this voice in the industry that's helping people to understand how do they make money with travel? How do they make money with landscape photography? Um, and, uh, I think it's really awesome because like I just said, it's not being discussed, um, too often. Where can people Taylor find more about what you're up to with that? Where can they, they view some of these episodes? Ultimately, where can they find you online? Yeah. Um, so on YouTube, just search for Taylor Jackson photo. That's kind of my, um, official YouTube name. Uh, there's lots of content up there. If you want to go deeper into, um, actually the travel photography, uh, making money with it, I have a course that, um, it's probably easier to just put in the show notes or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's uh, 90 bucks and it's like basically everything that I know about all the multiple streams of income, what's working, what's not. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's like a step-by-step hold your hand process. It's more of like, an overall picture of what actually is working, um, specifically like last year. Um, but yeah, it's like, it was very interesting for me to just kind of go through and figure out actual numbers on things because up until that point I was just kind of doing stuff and things would turn out kind of well. And, but I never really added everything up. And then I realized that, um, you can actually make like pretty close to a hundred thousand dollars, just taking landscape photos, uh, and traveling around. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we'll make sure to get that in the show notes. Taylor, thank you so much for being here today. This is a this is a really fun, casual conversation I've enjoyed having with you, man. Um, I'm definitely gonna check out that course, check out the rest of your your videos. Is there gonna be a season uh, two, three on the horizon for a photographer in? Yeah, the season two just wrapped with Antarctica. Um, and season three is going to, I believe, we haven't finished editing yet. Um, 
I believe it's going to start. We have uh, Trey Ratcliffe in New Zealand. So we spend a little bit of time with him and wander around and photograph the scenic Wanaka tree that I'm sure every photographer has probably seen in their life. Um, And yeah, so I think season three is going to start with that. It's three episodes. And then uh, we also go squatching in season three. I don't Um, even know what that is. We we go to the Pacific Northwest and we look for Sasquatches, um, which is like the most fun excuse to just rent a nice cabin and just kind of hang out and (laughs) be in nature for a little bit because it's not like I'm always in cities. So it was nice to disconnect for a few days and everything felt like you were in like everything just felt like you were in twilight but without the vampires it's very strange <laughs> well, look if you ever find yourself wanting to be a photographer in the rolling cornfields of columbus ohio in the gorgeous midwest you reach out to me my man uh and i'd love to uh, i'd love to have you by <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show yeah taylor thanks again man we'll talk soon cheers Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in on this conversation with Taylor and I. I hope it gave you new ideas on ways that you can monetize your photography and and perhaps a way that you haven't really considered. Look, uh, I don't want this to be the last time that you and I interact. Right now, it's really passive. You're just listening to me, but I want to invite you guys to something that's even cooler, a two-way conversation. Uh, pretty much daily on Facebook. I do Facebook Live videos for you guys, and it's wonderful because I get to actually interact. Please, you guys, come check it out. It's over at the Six Figure Photography Facebook page. Drop a line, say hello, ask a question, uh, be a part of the community, and I'd love to actually engage with you in that way. Last thing is this. If the SFP podcast has helped you, if it's inspired you, if it's if it's motivated you, if you've enjoyed it in any way, could you do me a huge favor? and drop over and leave a review. It would mean the world to me. I read every one of those and it really helps me continue to do what I do, that little extra boost. So thank you guys so much for being here. We'll see you guys on episode 48. Bye everyone.